We are all disciples, followers, learners, students of something or someone. Always learning, listening, and wanting to either be taught by others or teach others. Jesus calls his followers to be disciples of him above all else and to invite others into his way to make disciples that make disciples. All right. Hey, good morning. How's everyone doing? All right, and woo. Well, we'll get there. That's awesome. Hey, if we've never met before, my name is Steve, and I'm one of the pastors on staff here. I help out with what we call Give It Away, which is how we share the story and message of Jesus to our community and to our world. And so I would love to meet you. If I haven't before, I'll be hanging out in the cafe. And so there we go. Fun fact, by the way, um, if we haven't met before, maybe this will be fun if we have. But um, Friday night, I'm like wrapping Christmas gifts with my wife. And, um, you know, like the cheap, like, we went to the dollar store, we got like the three pack of tape for a dollar, you know what I'm saying? And like, it wouldn't cut the tape. It was like really hard, and, but it would cut my arm. And so, uh, like, it literally like snapped and cut my arm. And so, uh, I'm a big baby and I was crying about it. So, uh, there you go. Uh, fun fact. Um, I shared that on last night's service and like on a whim, maybe out of nerves. And like, Pastor Tony was like, just share it again. It was funny. So, there you go. Um, but that's not what we're talking about. So we're talking about Disciples of Something. And this is a series that we have been in for the last few weeks. And this has uh, been a really awesome series where basically what we've been saying is that we are all disciples of something. We're all learners of something, just like that bumper said. And so we're asking ourselves a couple of questions in that then of like, if we're all disciples of something, what is that thing discipling you? What's that thing that you are learning under, that you're a student of um, in your daily life? And then what are you discipling others into? And so the thing that's discipling you, um, what is the thing that you're discipling others into as well? And so um, another way to think about it is when you're in times of like crisis or uncertainty, who or what do you go to for clarity, for hope, for advice, and things like that? When it comes to like what to do with your money or uh, tips on parenting or how to grow your business or something like that, what is the thing that you go to? What is the prominent thing that you go to to look for answers? And how do you lead other people into those same answers? Well, whatever that thing is might be the thing that is discipling you the most. Okay, so quick recap of what we've been talking about. Um, the first week, we talked about, actually, I talked about all the voices. We went through Second Timothy, a couple chapters, and we basically said there are so many voices out fighting for our attention, for our identity, for our lifestyle, for our worldview, and those that are followers of Jesus ought to apprentice themselves under the way of Jesus um, and invite other people into that as well. And so we're all disciples of something. What is that thing? What are those voices that we're listening to? And then Pastor Seth, he walked us through OG disciple making. So like the original kind of call of disciple making, we can see that in the Old Testament. And we can see that through being people that are um, image bearers of God. We can see that through um, being a blessing to others and things like that. And then Pastor Kevin, he talked about uh, strawberries and chains for 40 minutes. So that was awesome. And so if you, if you don't remember that, um, it was a really good time. And so he basically was saying, like, I love what he was saying, that um, if you're a follower of Jesus and you have this story and message, that we should share that. It should spread, much like a, a strawberry plant spreads. And then um, we are to disciple under Jesus. And in doing that, it's like this chain where we're disciple, in our discipleship, we are connected to Jesus in that way. And so if you haven't checked those out, I would encourage you to. And then last week, Pastor Tony took us through this idea of everyone and someone, where basically, honestly, we could have just ended the series last week with that. Tony helped us get really practical and showed us like the who, the how, and the why of disciple making. And as he said last week, that it's really a, a gift to tell everyone 
about Jesus and to invest in someone or to invest in a few about Jesus. He said that disciple making is a treasure to be shared. And so that's where we've been up until today. And today, I want to pose this for us. For disciples of something, and if we're disciples of Jesus, then what would it look like to be disciples worth imitating? Okay, so we're going to read that through in a couple of chapters, a couple of verses here, actually chapters in First Thessalonians. So today is that idea. What does it look like to be disciples worth imitating? And so we know that there's so many other things to disciple under. We know kind of we've heard the Old Testament and New Testament vision for disciple making, and we have some practical tools and tips of how to go about Jesus' method on these things. But are we, are we, are you a disciple worth imitating? If you're a follower of Jesus, are you a disciple worth imitating? And honestly, the short answer is uh, no, probably actually not. Like maybe you're like me, okay? And I fail people all the time. I often struggle with following Jesus in my everyday life. I have times of weakness of being a godly husband to my wife, Maggie. I am not at all a perfect example or a perfect father of trying to emulate the father to my children. And so I tend to lead people into my own cynicism and brash personality. And so um, are we um, actually good and worth of this? And so not all the time, okay? And I'm guessing that you have weaknesses too, it's hard. It's honestly really hard to fully commit yourself, your way of life and thinking to Jesus and his way of life and thinking. And I think that's totally okay that we struggle with that. That is okay. And I think, and I'm pretty sure that Jesus knows that we struggle with that. After all, he died for you anyways. He died for you and for me, even though we wanted nothing to do with him or his way of life. But still, he decided to invest in people that would over and over again fail him and fail at imitating him. That was Jesus' way. Even still, Jesus says, go and make disciples. Go love the unlovable. Go and become the image bearers that you were created to be. And that's all with the help of his Holy Spirit. He will be with us in doing that. So even in our brokenness and imperfection, we can become disciples worth imitating. And this vision from Jesus is not reserved only for the best of modelers of Jesus modeling for others. It's not something to achieve or some kind of spiritual badges to accumulate. And if we end up making people more like ourselves, then we miss it entirely. We don't want people to look like us. We want people to look like Jesus. And it's that Jesus, for some reason, decided to, in part, use us to do that. Okay, and so what we're also not saying is that You need to just become the best Christian role model for others. You need to be a successful Jesus mentor or ministry coach or something like that. I think some of those definitions that we could use come a little bit short compared to the biblical definition of disciple making. Forbes put out an article last year um, titled, Why You Need a Role Model, Mentor, Coach, and Sponsor, and they defined these things this way. They said a role model is someone who has traits you admire and wish to emulate. A mentor is someone who, and I keep forgetting to cancel that out, but this is the last service, so someone who who talks with you about your career, goals, plans, and aspirations. A coach is someone who talks at you as you try to perfect something very specific. And a sponsor is someone who talks about you when you are not in the room, which I know needs some more context, but I think you get what they're saying. And so that's what it looks like to be like a role model, a mentor, a coach, or a sponsor. And so is that the things that we're saying Well, these things aren't bad, and I think there's a lot of that in discipleship, but they can kind of miss the mark on what we're talking about with disciple-making. 
We aren't simply looking to just role model after nice character traits uh, of people that we know or just talk, simply just talk about our aspirations with someone or be coached into like proper theology or anything like that or to have someone confirm our lifestyle in Christ. We do need guided towards these things, but disciple making and being disciples worth imitating is all about emulating Jesus and his character traits, understanding his aspirations for our life and we can do all of this because Jesus himself has sponsored us to God. And so that's some things to look at, to, to think about with disciple making. Check out what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, 14 to 17. He says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have many countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. So maybe Paul is here saying, you have so many role models, mentors, coaches, sponsors, even those that are in Christ, but maybe what we're lacking is people that would truly lead people, other people, to Jesus and to his way of life. To be disciples worth imitating by sharing your life actually as you imperfectly continue to make the gospel real in your life and in the life of others. Paul wanted this. He wanted this for his church. He wanted his church to imitate him so that they could see and emulate Jesus. So he sent other imitators when he couldn't be around. He was like, I couldn't be with you guys, so I sent Timothy, one of my disciples, to do this with and for you. Okay? So speaking of Paul, there's actually, I think, a really beautiful picture of what this looks like between Paul his disciples, and a church in Thessalonica. So I would love for you to go there with me. We're going to be in 1 Thessalonians, and we're going to be in chapters 1 and a little bit of chapter 2 as well. So go there. If you don't have a Bible, please feel free to uh, download one right now on your phone. Um, pick one up. There's a real Bible underneath the seats below you. Um, maybe you're online, and you could just snuggle up with somebody and read a Bible together. I don't know. I just imagine that's what you do when you're online. You're just like, I'm envious of you. You're like on the couch sipping coffee and watching this. I don't know, whatever you do. But um, unless that's weird, then don't do that. So First uh, Thessalonians, while you're finding your way there, let me just show you where we're going with this whole thing today. Um, through these kind of couple chapters, because I think what we'll find is a really helpful list that Paul is kind of prescribing a little bit, a little bit of practicality of what it looks like to be a disciple worth imitating. Okay, so I have nine things today, okay? And so it's like, we're going to fit nine sermons into one, so you're welcome, okay? And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to go a little bit quickly um, through all these. We're not going to speed through it, but I think we're just going to see casually as we read this chap these chapters together, these things. We're going to see that a disciple worth imitating is someone who's known by your faith, by your love, and by your hope. A disciple worth imitating will share the gospel with words, but with power, the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. We'll imitate others and Jesus. And then we'll model Jesus to others. Our, our faith will become known everywhere. Disciples worth imitating will turn from idols to serve the living, true God. We're not after the praise of people. We're delighted to share our life, your life, with others. And the word is at work in you. Okay, so I think that's what we'll see here. And so let's go for it. Number one, disciples worth imitating are going to be known by our faith, by our love, and by our hope. And so here's where Paul starts off. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, Silas, and Timothy 
to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so there we go. We see these kind of three things of faith, hope, and love. And Paul often repeats these things as something that is normative of or for a disciple of Jesus. And so for the Thessalonians, he recognizes this in them. He says, guys, you have this work. Your work is being produced by faith. And so what he's saying is like, I've seen you guys do good work, not to like kind of obtain something to get to God, but as a response to your faith. You guys came to know Jesus, and that compelled you, that faith compelled you to go and do good works for others. It wasn't out of dutiful obligation, some kind of shame or guilt or pity or anything like that. Think about faith and works for a second. It's interesting because if you think about Jesus' brother, James, he writes a bit about this. He writes that basically, kind of my translation, like our faith is lame if our good works are non-existent. And so what does that mean? Well, if you see someone in need and you simply tell them, pray for you or give them some kind of good luck man remark without attempting to help them, without attempting to build relationship with them or connect them to the things that they need, what does that say about our faith? What does that model for others as followers of, of Jesus? Disciples worth imitating will do the hard things of providing real help for and relationship with people in need, and that's going to be a byproduct of our faith in Christ that compels us to do those things. And I think he saw that in the Thessalonians. He's going to say that your labor has been prompted by love. Paul saw the Thessalonian church labor and toil or toil over sharing the gospel with others. The most loving thing you can do if you have abundance is to share it. And so followers of Jesus, we have abundance of life. And the love that Jesus has for us should translate into compelling us toward loving people enough to invest time, money, and resources into people. Again, I think he saw this in these people, that their labor wasn't, it was just, it was totally prompted by love, by the love that they experienced from Jesus and other people following Jesus. And then he says, your endurance is inspired by hope, not just any hope, but hope in Jesus. And so our hope isn't some wishful, fragile thing. It's real and concrete and enables followers of Jesus to have endurance in this life, whether something good is happening or something bad comes our way. And it's inspired by the fact that Jesus is with us now and is coming back to create the new heaven and new earth. I gotta say, I've seen a lot of people exhibit this, even this last few weeks in our church. I've seen a lot of people respond to, for example, death or sickness in this last year in many different ways. Several people close to us in our church recently, I've seen their endurance inspired by hope. What does that look like? Well, I was talking with somebody this last week about that, and they were saying when you're facing somebody who is dying, neither of you care about your bank account or anything like that. Instead, when you know that they have a hope in Jesus, and when you have hope in Jesus, you have something firm and confident, like having a relationship with the one that made you. And so when that happens, your tears of sadness are simultaneously tears of joy. The Bible elsewhere says that we don't mourn as those without hope. And so I've just seen that in our people, and it's awesome. So Paul says, yeah, your faith, your love, your hope, these are things normative of somebody worth imitating in Christ. You're known by those things, your faith, love, and hope. 
Paul will go on to say then, the gospel. We share the gospel with words, with power, the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. In verse four, he says, for we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. Okay, so there it is right there. The gospel came to you, not simply with words, though they used words, um, not, not just words, but it came with power, it came with, by the Holy Spirit, and it came with deep conviction. So, unfortunately, for many of us, I know many of us in this room, many of us maybe even watching, the gospel came to you from a Christian church um, or a Christian person with empty words, with stipulations attached to it, with harassment, or even a posture of you better get your act together before you can really be invited into this thing. And I just want to say, I know that's been a lot of people that's been to our church and people that I know and love. And those are not the words or the power of the gospel at all, nor is a conviction from the gospel. See, the thing is, we must use words. When we present the gospel to people, we must use words. You can't get past that. But what words are we using? That is very important. Are we pointing people to the person of Jesus? Is it with a deep biblical conviction, something that you have had internalized in for yourself? We don't get that always right, to be sure. We don't always get that right. But the gospel is the good news after all. It's the story and message of Jesus, and that largely gets communicated by words, and the words that we use really do matter. And what's this power that he's talking about? Okay, if it didn't just simply come with the words, but it came with power, Holy Spirit, and these things, well, I think it's the power, as Romans says, to bring salvation, to bring salvation to everyone, to bring right relationship to, for people to Jesus. And so it reminds me of this, uh, Pastor Seth and I, this last week, we had the pleasure of meeting somebody who came into our church, and um, it was uh, a guy who, honestly, he said that he had hesitated to come to our, even our church building before, because he doesn't, like, fit the mold of a churchgoer, and he said that because that's what he's been told by other churches before, and we were just, like, heartbroken by that, but we had just had the pleasure, and he's a follower of Jesus, and he didn't feel welcome into many churches, he's been told that. So I don't know the whole story, but we just had the pleasure of telling him that, man, uh, I was just reminding you that Jesus, he doesn't judge like we do in the outward appearance or anything like that. Jesus judges the heart. And the power of the gospel is going to be brought whether we like it to somebody or not. And that salvation is for anyone who would believe in Jesus. You're welcome here. You're welcome here. So the gospel, it's much bigger than our words or lack of words, right? Because I love what that guy said. He's like, well, I'm following Jesus. I just, man, I just get this thing from these other churches. And that's really unfortunate. But thankfully, the gospel is much bigger than our words or our lack of words, our elegance or lack of elegance. The gospel has its own power. And so we shouldn't think so little of ourselves when maybe we're trying to lead other people to Jesus or mature other people in, in Jesus. Because the Holy Spirit is the power that leads others to relationship with Jesus. And that's going to happen because of us or in spite of us. And so there's a lot of comfort in that, that even when we do mess up our words, it's not our power that we're presenting. It's the Holy Spirit. It's deep conviction. It's the power of the gospel. The Holy Spirit is doing that work in and through us, whether we like it or not, and for others. Thank God for that. So that's what it looks like. A disciple worth imitating is going to use words wisely we're going to tap into the power of the Holy Spirit with deep conviction and share that gospel with other people. Next up, disciples worth imitating. This is a weird one, but Paul says that we're going to imitate others and Jesus 
And then I'll add this one here in this part too, that we are also going to become models of Jesus to others. So let's keep going. In verse 6, Paul says, You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. So there we go. They didn't just become imitators of the Lord, they became imitators of themselves, and they became a model to all that believed. That's an interesting part to me because it almost doesn't seem right at all. Wait a minute, we're supposed to like become imitators of imperfect, messed up, broken people like myself? Well, yeah, and of the Lord. And so it kind of makes sense when you think back to the, the whole image of God concept. We are made in the image and likeness of God. We don't always fit into that image well, of course. We don't always do it right. But those that follow Jesus, the thing is we have the Spirit, which points back to Jesus. And so, yeah, Paul's going to call on us to imitate, to become imitators of them, of other disciples, and of the Lord. So a good question for you and for me is, do you know anybody worth imitating? Is there anybody coming to mind even now? If they are, why are they worth imitating? What about them is worth imitating? Not just because they're a good role model or a good coach or something like that. So for me, ever since I came to know Jesus in 2011, I think the Spirit has really put a ton of men in my life worth imitating. Not fully. They aren't perfect by any means. Um, not at all. They, and they would tell you their imperfections. You would see their imperfections. But man, I thank God that he has done this for me. There are people that I looked up to and that have helped me in my walk for Christ. And I desire to imitate them because I see aspects of what it looks like to follow after Jesus in them. This is my buddy Rich. My buddy Rich is one of those guys, a guy that's discipled me for a long, a long, long time. And I'll tell you, I've never met someone so committed to leading his family to Jesus. And I often go to him for advice. I often look to him and look up to him as somebody worth imitating. And he's a lot more awkward and weird than me, okay? And so maybe I've imitated too much, but um, he is somebody worth imitating as far as how he's leading his family to Jesus. And I'm just so inspired by that, so inspired by that, that I'm like compelled to then in turn make myself be a model for others to Jesus. And I love this. Paul says, you became a model to all the believers, even in your area and the surrounding areas. And so as scary as this is, we get the absolute privilege to model Jesus for others, our good and our bad. <laughs> and this, this church was a people that became models of and for Jesus to all the believers. I love that. To the believers, not just in their area, but all elsewhere as well. So I pray, one of my prayers is that we would become people like that. That we would become increasingly, that would be increasingly truer for us, for our church, the people of our church, to become models to all the believers in Medina, in the surrounding area. So what's it look like to be a disciple worth imitating? We imitate others, actually, and Jesus, and then we're compelled to model Jesus to others. Next up here, I think Paul continued to say that, I think when this stuff happens, that your faith will become, become known everywhere. And it's because, I think, we turn from idols to serve the living, true God. So let's keep going. In verse 8, Paul continues and says, The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. I love that. He's like, we don't even need to talk about this. It's just happening. 
Verse nine, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. I love that word. It says the gospel rang out. It literally like reverberated out to all believers in their city and the surrounding area. They made quite the noise with their new kind of transformed way of life. In fact, we see that a little bit in the book of Acts. In Acts 17, we're told of a little bit of how Paul, um, on his missionary journeys, got to this place in Thessalonica. And we're told that um, basically they got there, they're sharing the gospel with people. And at some point, it's quoted that like somebody was like, you guys are turning the world upside down. So many people are coming to know a new way of living, a new God to serve, the real true God to serve. And it's changing everything. And so that made a lot of people mad. It made many people curious, but it also made a lot of people devote their entire lives to Jesus. And so how did that happen? Well, I think it's because, you know, when, when they put their faith in God and, and all that's been known, it's because they did this. They turned to God from idols to serve the living true God. They turned from the things that were fighting for the attention of their life, the things that were becoming their worldview, the things that they were putting their identity and belonging into, and instead found God and found the way, found Jesus. And so, question for us in all this, is our faith in Jesus known everywhere? Is it known everywhere? I think it's interesting. Like, Paul, they didn't, they didn't have, like, cell phones or social media or stuff like that, so you wonder, like, how did this happen? Your faith in God has become known everywhere. How does that happen? And then for us, like, we have those things. How are we doing with that? Is our faith becoming known everywhere? And so Christmas time's coming up. When you meet with your family this, this Christmas, whatever that looks like for you, do they know that you love Jesus and love them? Those two can be totally different sometimes, unfortunately. Do they know that you love Jesus? Do they know that you love them? When your coworker asks about your life, do they get to hear about Jesus? And what about this church, even? If our church doors, like, close down this weekend or next week, weekend for whatever reason, like, we just closed, had to close our church would our community even notice or care? Or even worse, would it be a relief to our community? Is our faith, not just individually or you and your family, but even our faith as it is this church, is it becoming known everywhere? Maybe people do know about our faith. Maybe people do know about your faith. But what about your faith is known? Is it known that we turn away from some of the pleasures of this world in favor for a better way presented to us by Jesus? Is it known that we have a message, a power that's not our own, a power that can break people away from their addictions, transform broken marriages, um, heal fractured relationships? Do people know that they have a rescuer named Jesus who was sent from heaven, raised from the dead? I'll tell you what, that is the thing worth sharing. I pray that that stuff is what our faith is becoming known in as it becomes known everywhere. All right, so disciples worth imitating Faith is going to become known everywhere. We're going to turn from idols to serve the living, true God. And we're not after the praise of people. So Paul picks up in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. He says, You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi. As you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you the, his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. 
We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know we never use flattery, nor do we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. I love that he just puts that there, but verse seven. Instead, we were like young children among you, just as a nursing mother cares for her children. Man, this is crazy. He's just like, we're not looking for the praise from people, from anyone else, but for God. And so this message that we have of sharing our faith in Jesus, that's a message worth sharing everywhere. But it's not always accepted everywhere. Paul's taking a moment here. Honestly, I think what Paul's doing, he's, he's actually pleading with the church in Thessalonica here in this, that um, he's like trying to say, guys, what I did, everything I did, the life that I led and tried to show you, the gospel that I presented to you, I did that in, my, in your city without any kind of personal gain, without any kind of praise from people. I mentioned earlier that Paul's visit to Thessalonica is recorded a bit in Acts. Well, like I said, they turned the world upside down through sharing Jesus to this place and made, every, and made a lot of people angry and made a lot of people devoted to Christ. But what happened was there was actually a public riot that was produced. Uh, legal charges came against Paul and his crew and it forced Paul to leave at the city at night, which to us sounds like a good move. I'm like, if you're getting persecuted, it's that bad, like get out, right? But in this time and in this area, these people were used, this community was used to pre- people coming in and preaching their own message, whatever that message might be. And they were used to these people coming in and preaching a message to try to gain for themselves money, influence, power, or pleasure, or things like that. And so when the message wasn't received by these, um, when they came and the message wasn't received, what those people would do was they would slip out at night, never to be seen again, and therefore confirming their scheming ways. And so what happened was some of the Thessalonians, they were led to be convinced that Paul was the same way, that Paul must have just came in and tried to do this stuff to, to gain some kind of whatever, just like these other teachers that come through all the time. Paul's like, no, I assure you, you saw my way of life. I opened myself up to you, saw it. Everything I did was for you and so that you can hear the gospel, so that you can hear about Jesus. And so disciples worth imitating are ones that don't seek the praise of people, selfish gain, or anything like that from others. It doesn't come with trickery or impure motives. And maybe for our context today, it looks like a lot less being people pleasers and instead being more God pleasers. And sometimes, honestly, doing the right thing before God isn't always viewed as the right thing before others. It's a hard thing to try to figure out. It honestly is. I recall like what Pastor Tony said last week, that like it's easy to kind of be a Jesus jerk about some things. And that's not what Paul's saying. He's like, man, it's easy to kind of look at this tension and be like, man, I have this, uh, this chance where I can either please God or please people. Maybe you've been in that tension before. I have. I've been in that tension quite a few times before where I'm like looking at a situation. I'm like, man, I know what Jesus says about this thing or that thing. But if we could just like soften that part, if we could just ignore that part, then maybe I can keep this friendship going. Maybe I can keep this relationship going just a little while longer. This happened with a person that I discipled for quite a long time. As somebody that I uh, came uh, to be friends with and disciple with, where he started asking some really good, hard questions at some point. And he kind of got convinced that, man, he, he believed that the Jesus that he knew would never deny someone access to heaven just because they don't follow after him. And he started getting to other hard things that um, I'm not going to bring up now, but like 
things that were contrary to the scriptures because he just had this like view of Jesus in his mind. Like Jesus would never do those things. We would read a hard passage and say, no, I can't believe that. No, I'm, I'm, I think I can follow Jesus without any of that other stuff. And so when I'm in a situation like that, it's honestly hard. It's like, well, okay, man, we can just skip over that for now. Like, just love Jesus and it'll be all fine, right? And that's at times what I wanted to do. But man, I was compelled to be like, dude, like, if we're trying to follow Jesus together, like, this is what the word says. This is good. This is like Jesus' way of life for us. I don't personally always, always agree with it. It's hard, but this is the way. And so, I mean, in doing that, <laughs> there was a time where we sat down to go through Matthew, and he was like, look, man, this is the last time we're going to go through this stuff. Like, we could be friends, but like, this Jesus stuff, like, I'm going to follow my own way, and I don't want to hear you on it anymore. And that hurts. Thankfully, we are, are, are good friends now, but we don't nearly see each other as much as we used to. And so it's a tough question, but it's one that we should consider. Are we after the praise of people, or are we being people approved by God and trusted with a message that we can lovingly deliver to others? Not be a Jesus jerk about it, but lovingly deliver that message to others, even when it's hard. So that's, in ways, what disciple worth imitating looks like. We're not after the praise of people. We want to love people, but we want to be approved workers by God and give that message clearly. And then number eight, I love this, delighted to share your life with others. So Paul picks up and says in verse eight, so we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel, though we did that, of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order, to be a burden, in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And so... Here's what we see. Paul is saying, man, we were delighted to share with you the gospel to be sure, but also opening up our own lives with you. See, it's like easy to simply stop at like sharing the gospel. It's easy to do that. But then what? But then what? It's easy to get on like social media and like shout out and tell people about maybe scripture verses or this or that, in which oftentimes it's usually viewed as something like not positive. It's easy to like print out a ton of tracts and go out and just like hand them to any stranger that you'll never see again. It's like easy to do that, to deliver the gospel that way. It's easy to get some Christmas invite cards and like go to Aldi's and like sneak in someone's cart and like never see them again. Hope they show up to church, right? Don't do that. But I don't know, maybe that stuff does work, okay? I'm not gonna discredit like God's power and what he could do. But I love what Paul's saying. He's like, we're not gonna just share the gospel. We're gonna do that for sure. But we're gonna share our own lives as well. What could that look like for us? What if the next time, what if you see someone in a tent in a Walmart parking lot and you're just compelled to do something about it? What if you take them to lunch? What if you share each other's story? What if you're interested in hearing from them and who they are and wanting to hear their story? What if you invited that neighbor that you ignore or want to ignore over for dinner? What if you pursued them and opened up your home, your life to them? Not just the gospel, but your own life as well. And what if you didn't just meet at Panera Bread once a week to go over some kind of Bible plan, 
but you invited that person into your life for real, actually, seeing the good and the bad of what it's like for you to follow after Jesus together. Paul uses such strong language here. He says, man, I became like a mother, like a father to these people, and that they knew exactly his way of life. They saw it. They were open. He was opening that to them. That sounds a lot like Jesus. He opened his life to a few, to others, to disciples that would follow after him. He didn't just preach the gospel. He came and lived with us. And that doesn't just happen on accident. It doesn't just happen once a week. It's a time investment for sure, a commitment to mutually encourage one another to do what? To live lives worthy of, changing a slide, sorry, to live lives worthy of God. That's what it's like, to mutually do that together. Open your life to another person. All right, so if disciples are worth imitating, it looks like delighted, being delighted to share your life. And that word gets me too, by the way, because like, I'm okay with sharing some aspects of my life. I like do it because I'm like, I know I should do this, but to be delighted to do it as well. And then he'll finish up to say, man, the, the word should be at work in you. Is the word at work in you. So he goes in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. Okay, so this whole part, you received the word of God. You heard it from us. We shared it with you. You accepted it, not as just something we were coming up with, not just some words to tell you about, some empty religion or anything like that, what it really actually is. It's the word of God. You didn't just consume that. You actually did something about that. So lastly, disciples worth imitating We receive the word of God as it is, the actual words of God. And if we believe that to be true, then there's something to be done about that. When we receive receive the word, we don't just, just listen to it being taught to us once a week, maybe even in a setting like this. We don't just read it a bit further and study it a bit further another time of the week at like a life group. We read the word and we do something with it. We do something about it. We let it sit in and do something about it in our everyday actual lives. And so a question for us, is the Bible at work in you? Not just up here in our heads, not just consuming it, but working its way down to our hearts, to our hands, and to our feet, and that we're doing something about it. Disciples worth imitating don't just keep what they're learning for themselves stuck in their own heads. When you're reading the word and when you hear the word, like in a setting like this, ask the question, what are you going to do about it? I'm gonna ask the band to come up and I gotta share this, that like that, that very thing that I'm saying there, it's, it reminds me of my buddy Rich that I told you about earlier, who to me is a guy worth imitating and how he follows after Jesus, not perfectly, not all the time, but uh, a lot of the times. And he, whenever we would meet um, often, he would always say this, the same two things to me. He'd be like, Steve, so what's God teaching you and what are you gonna do about it? And those are two words that I grew to like really love and really get annoyed by all the time because I'm like, it would, it would never fail. Like I would meet with him and we're just talking and then he'll bring that up on me and I'm like, dang it, you got me again. Like, I don't know. Like, what is God teaching me? Like, I read the word yesterday and we're reading the word now, but like, I don't know. Am I supposed to just like hear from God all the time? Like, and so it's frustrating at times when he was sharing that with me all the time, but it always stuck with me because it's like, yeah, those are good questions. What is God teaching me? If I'm reading his word, he's surely he's teaching something to me. If I have his Holy Spirit, if that power is in me, surely he's teaching me something. 
And not just teaching me to like have that in my head and be cool with, but to like do something about it. So what am I going to do about it? And so if we're all disciples of something, we are. And if this is true, that I know that God really wants to reveal himself to every single one of us, if all that's true, then ask the question, what's God teaching you and what are you going to do about it? Ask that question through this series even. If, you, if you've been locked in this series, talking about disciples of something, what, what has God been teaching you this whole time? And if you don't know, then just pray on that. Think through it. You might not have an answer right now. Maybe you do. And maybe through this whole talk right now, you're looking at these and you're like, man, what is God teaching me here? And maybe not all nine of these are for you, but maybe some of them are. What are you going to do about it? If God's teaching you something through Paul's kind of example in this, what are we going to do about it? If you're convinced that, man, my faith should become known everywhere, what are you going to do about it? What's God teaching you? Maybe you have some idols in your life. What's God teaching you? What are you going to do about it? You get it. And so just take some time. Take a picture of this if you need. And, and I think that's just a great way to end this series. To look at this whole series, look at stuff like this and say, man, what is God teaching you? And what are you really actually going to do about it in your everyday life? Let's pray. Jesus, we, uh, we love you so much. God, thank you that... Um, you, you did so much. You, you came down to be with us. You, you just like the, the message version says, that you moved into the neighborhood. You came and lived with us. And I'm so thankful, God, that you didn't just come and like um, spot out some teaching, teach us some good things, and here you go. Here's how to be saved or something like that. But God, you lived with us. God, you showed us what it's like to follow after God. Lord, you raised up disciples who you eventually called to go and make disciples. God, go to go and be imitators of you for other people. And God, you lovingly call us to the same thing. So those of us that are followers of you, Jesus, we are called to be disciples, not of something, but of you. And so I pray that your voice is the prominent voice in our life, Lord. And I pray that for those that maybe don't know you or are, are still cautious or curious about you, God, that they would hear your loving voice as something worthy of being discipled under, that you are the God of the universe, the creator God who loves us so much that you would be with us. And God, I pray just, yeah, I pray for our church. I pray for the people listening right now that are followers of Jesus, that we would be disciples worth imitating. And I don't say that in some proud way or some look at us kind of way. It's hard and it's humbling but God, it seems to be your way to make disciples that make disciples, that we would entrust that message to others, that we would open our lives to others for real. Maybe for us, it means we have to reprioritize things. Maybe for us, it means um, being a little more introvert, uh, extroverted than we are introverted. Maybe it looks like so many things, God. But I just pray that as we, as we hear a message like this, God, that we would do just what I just said, that we would look and pray and see what, God, are you teaching me? And what are we going to do about it? So I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.